We're going to discover a little bit about what's been happening in the way of how our church has been engaged in our entire world. You know, today is, uh, serendipitously, today is Pentecost Sunday. And, you know, a number of months ago, or a year ago, when we decided to do our mission Sunday, we talked about doing it later in the, in the year, and we talked about doing it in May, and so we put it on this day, and we didn't figure it out, but it actually fell on Pentecost. And, and then afterwards, I realized how significant that really is, because when you think about it, Pentecost... Uh, which is really the day the church, well, the Jewish people celebrate as an engathering of their crops. Actually, at the first church Pentecost was the day that 50 days after Christ's death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit descended and empowered the disciples. And out of that began the, the origination of the church in the power of the Spirit. And so today we're celebrating that. We're celebrating the birthday of the church. Do you realize that's what Pentecost Sunday is? And it's really only, the only reason that there is a church is because God himself has dwelt among his people. And that's what makes the church distinct from any other organization. We are the people of God's presence. And I love that. Now, when Jesus, uh, had ret having returned his father, he was telling his disciples, listen, I'm giving you something to do. I'm giving you a purpose I'm giving you a reason for living. I'm giving you a, a mission in life, and we call it the Great Commission. But before you and I can go out and fulfill this commission of going into all the world and making disciples of all peoples, there is a necessity that unless we receive what we're going to hear tonight, it's going to be absolutely impossible to accomplish. Now, take a look at what uh, Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 24. He's ready to ascend into heaven, and he says this, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. Interesting. What was he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I think it would have been a, an amazing experience to have lived 2,000 years ago and to have been one of the followers of Jesus. How many think that might be a little bit exciting? How many think it might have been a little bit exciting to walk with Jesus, you know, in the, in the realm of Galilee and watch the miracles transpiring before your eyes? How many think that might be a little exciting? How many, that would really that'd be great. But, you know, there was a limitation to that. Jesus said it's necessary that I leave because God had limited himself to being in a human body. You know, Jesus was a human being. He was limited to a time and space to a, a certain locale. He could not be with his disciples all over the world. And he said, it's necessary that I leave, that my father send another comforter, another one like myself. And so we have this introduction, which it's kind of a, a seed that really fully develops into the New Testament, this idea that God is one, and yet he's manifest in three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was now going to come, and God was going to not just live among his people, but within his people. And here in Luke it says, but stay in the city, he's talking about Jerusalem, until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I, I, I actually like shopping. This is going to shock some people, you know, and I, and I, and I like getting, and you're not shocked by that. You had no idea, right? Yeah, and... And, and I like getting new clothes. You get it. You know, because really, when you think about it, you get the right set of clothes. You know, you just feel good about it. But here, we're being clothed by God. How many think that's pretty an amazing thing, that God is willing to enclothe us? 
with his presence and give us an enablement, an empowerment to do what he's asking us to do. And God fulfilled that promise on the day of Pentecost when his presence invaded the church. And you read the story in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. He empowered them. That, an amazing story. So, you know, today... Uh, we're going to talk about how missions and God's empowerment go together. As a matter of fact, I would say to you that apart from God's empowerment, you can't do missions. You can't fulfill the Great Commission. You can't do this in your own wisdom. You can't do this in your own strength. You need God's spirit to come into your life so that you can actually fulfill God's purpose. But, you know, so often in our lives, we don't have that happening the way we'd like to see it happen. Now, in the midst of this tonight, I want to just kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about how, as a church family, we have done missions together, all right? And then I'm going to move on and really get to the point of the message is how you and I can live a missional life, how you and I, in a sense, are all called to be missionaries, how to live out this kind of a life. And it's going to move you outside of uh, maybe where you've lived. For some, for some people, we've kind of lived in a box. And we're going to talk about how to break out of that box tonight and how to live a very dynamic, spirit-led, spirit-directed, spirit-empowered life. Now, hopefully when you came in tonight, you received the little jacket, the little bulletin jacket. How many received that? I'm just, I want to just raise your hand. You got that, Jack. That's really important. I, I hope you got it. If you haven't received it, on your way up, please get it. Arlene, you did a great job with this jacket. Thank you. And you know what I like about it? It's not wordy. It's not a lot of reading. But it'll quickly bring you up to speed at what we're involved in. Now, let me just tell you, uh, our church family has been involved in ministry beyond this local church since its very inception. And tonight, uh, I, I'm just going to mentioned that we have been involved in the, in the Central Alberta Pregnancy Care Center right from its very beginning. Isn't that great? Yeah. And our church family has been involved, not only giving financially, we, we have over the years been one of the larger donors, but we have also contributed people over the years, continuously given to this ministry. And I want you to know, it's, it's not just about dollars, it's about investing our hearts and our, our minds in serving our community in this area. You know, I felt for a long time, it's so easy for us to criticize people when the real thing is to give people hope. You know, it's very easy to talk to people when they've made mistakes in their life or they've made poor choices in their life and then, you know, we've been shunning them or criticizing them. This was a a response to helping people in a difficult time in their life. And we recognize that when people are in crisis, it's the best time to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to them. And not only have we ministered through the Pregnancy Care Center, but also Loaves and Fishes. And we have a representative here tonight as well. And our church has, you know, contributed, supported, you know, people have gone down there and helped. And I, I want to pray that we'll continue to do that. You know, as long as I'm the pastor, you know, I want to keep promoting that we're involved and serving, you know, these beautiful expressions in our community. We have to work together to do these things. And then we have Central Alberta Youth Unlimited. And actually, one of the leaders of this ministry is a part of our church family. And it's exciting. And we want to support that and help young people who are really, you know, when you're a young person, what a challenging moment in your life, trying to figure out the big questions of life, you know, who am I, 
Where am I going? What am I going to do with my life? Who am I going to spend my life with? Those are challenging questions. And many times, if you come from a background where there's been confusion, you don't know the right way, you can make some terrible choices. And it's so great to have uh, a, a ministry like this, working with our youth pastors in our city, helping our young people. I think that's an awesome thing, and our church is involved in supporting that. And then when we move a little further afield, you know, our church is one of the largest contributors to our Bible college. And Pastor Reich, who's served on our staff, is the president of Living Faith Bible College, and we have tried to help him as they've ministered in training leaders. How many think it's important to have Christian leaders in our country? I'm, I Actually, I'm going to tell you something. We are in a crisis in our nation. You guys may not know that. We're just, we assume a few things. But I want to tell you something. There's coming a day when we're not going to have a lot of Christian leaders. And a lot of young people aren't going into the ministry today. They're going into other vocations. It's easier. There's more pay. You know, it's more, it's, you know, it's really challenging to be a Christian leader. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, I've been doing it for 33 years. I've been around pastors for all of this time. I'm shocked at how many people start as pastors and don't end up as pastors. Because what you guys don't realize, it's one of the top three most difficult vocations in life. It is one of the most challenging jobs. And a lot of people just can't, you know, a lot of reasons why. You know, there's lack of financial support. There's uh, intense criticism. There's, uh, you know, spiritual pressure that most people have no idea. And, you know, you think about it. You're not just running a small uh, business. You got, you know, like in our church, you know, we have hundreds of, you know, you think about it. Everybody has a mind. And all the people in our church all have great ideas about what God should be doing and what God's doing and everyone's you know, hearing from God. And try being the leader and trying to lead everybody in the same direction. Good luck. It's like herding cats. I was just talking to one of our brothers here. We were just chatting about that. It is a challenging thing. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of stress on the pastor's family. Um, you know, people's expectations of pastor's family are unrealistic. I mean, I can go on and on. We could just talk about it. There's books written how pastors are actually at risk. And focus on the family's written books about this. I'm just telling you, you know, we need to pray that God will really speak to young people and feel the call of God in spite of all of the challenges. You know, I always tell people, listen, this is by far the greatest life and the most difficult life. And if God has called you to it, please do it. Because you will never regret that decision. And if you're called to it and you don't do it, you're really missing a great opportunity to be used by God in an amazing way. And then we had a young family in our church, Daryl and Shauna Ward. She was serving as in our children's ministry. They came to us and passed her. We have a burden for camp ministry. And so we said, okay, we'll support you. And we sent them out. And they've gone out to Quadra Island in British Columbia. And they've been serving there. I've gone out to visit them. It's an amazing work. Hundreds of children are being ministered to every year. Very exciting, and we're supporting that work. And then, not only that, we had the Millers who were a part of our church family, and they came to me, and we heard that little clip, and our church literally pays their full-time salary to actually sail in the Caribbean. We've given them money for the boat. I think a couple years ago, we gave $50,000 for the purchase of that boat. And we've been bringing uh, ministry supplies, you know, personal effects, as well as Christian literature in the country of Cuba. What an amazing ministry that they're involved in. And I was just in Cuba. I'll tell you, the poverty and the the, the challenge that people are faced with there. And I I actually met believers there, and they were chatting with me. And, you know... They don't realize, I didn't, I, you know, my wife, you know, this young gal said, you know, what are you doing to help us? And, you know, she said, believe me, 
Uh, our, my husband's a pastor, and we have a heart for Cuba. And we, we want you to know we're doing more than you'll ever know. And she didn't go into it because we didn't want to expose what we're doing there. But literally, our church family has been pouring in Christian literature in Cuba for many, many years. And then... Uh, not only that, we've uh, reached out to people in the Middle East through radio broadcast and personal evangelism. We're supporting two different individuals. One's a personal worker. We've had Risa here. He has shared how he's ministering to, you know, remember the ISIS situation you see on the news all the time. People are flooding into other countries. He's on the front lines ministering people of an Islamic background, refugees from Afghanistan, all of these countries pouring in. He's on the front line ministering to these people. And he has shared with me his openness like he said, I don't want to get married because I feel that one day I will be killed because I'm a Christian. And, uh, you know, that's a very challenging person. The last time he was in our church, he was here on a Sunday night. He pleaded with me. He said, Pastor, if something happens to me, would your church go out and make sure that you bring my, exhume my body, bring me back to Canada, and bury me here? I mean, that, that was a very moving event when he asked that. Uh, how many think that was pretty challenging to be asked that? That tells you the kind of commitment, and so we're supporting that ministry. And a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Masood Mustafi, who has been doing a radio broadcast in Farsi, which is the language of Iran, uh, passed away two weeks ago. And, uh, and so he's gone to be with the Lord. But here's the good news. Before he had passed away, he had made thousands of radio broadcasts, and they're still being played. So even though he's in heaven, he's continuing to preach the gospel to people in Iran today. And we're supporting that broadcast going into the Middle East. And then we think of uh, other parts of Asia where we have the Humphreys. And uh, Jim and uh, his wife, Cowin have been here. She's a Kachin person. Uh, if you're aware of what's happening in Myanmar, the church is under great persecution. There's over 100,000 displaced people. Many of them, their villages have been bombed. They've been shot at, killed, persecuted. And folks, I want you to know there's more people being martyred today in the 21st century than there has ever been in the entire history of the church. And so I was in Toronto here just recently at our conference. And in our fellowship, there's a beautiful individual, and I've chatted with him. He's going to come and speak at our church. Who, has, who was recently tortured for Christ and is going to share his story and how he escaped and how he started a new organization to speak for religious freedom. And it's very, very moving. Probably one of the most compelling stories. Mark, you were sitting next to me. We were crying. Uh, Mark says, we got to have the... And I said, I already talked to him. I already have his card. He, I've already uh, chatted. He's gonna, he said he'd be willing to come. So we're going to have that in the near future. Uh, we also sponsor Wycliffe, uh, Bible translator, Lisa and her husband. Um, I want to say his name right, Acquired, Acquit, a, a Jew, a Jew. See, I get this wrong, but a Jew, it's like a sneeze, right? Uh, beautiful young man. <laughs> yeah, he's a tribal person. She got married to him. He's really a humble person. He's been to our church. Uh, I really appreciate his heart. He's ministering to the tribal people there in Thailand. You know, some of these situations are very challenging, and we're sponsoring that. And then we're in, we're in Africa working with the divorce who are involved in church planning, Bible college training, prison ministry, orphanage work. They have outreaches not only from Sudan right into, uh, 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 sorry, Uganda, they, they outreach into Sudan, but they're also reaching out into Bangladesh and to the Philippines. These guys are so passionate about bringing the gospel. And then a friend of mine, Bob Finke, who has been in Colombia, which is you know, one of the drug capitals. He, he's actually in Medellin, which is the, one of the drug capitals of the world. He's pastored this great church, 8,000 people. He's been there for years. They're, he's in charge of networking 
uh, in the start of church plants in South America. And he said, Paul, if you'll you know, sponsor this ministry and get your church involved in it. And so for $75 a month, we can start a church. And so over the last five or six years, or when, uh, since 2003, we've partnered with him. And they have started 1,500 churches since 2003 in South America. And we're a part of that. I'm just giving you an idea of what in the world we're involved in here. I mean, you're getting a little excited. You know, it's not, you know, sometimes you think, well, I'm just in church on Sunday. I'm going, no, your involvement and contribution is helping make the things that I'm describing a reality. We're not just ministering in Red Deer. We're ministering around the world. And then we have our own Scott in San Rita who came to me and said pastor we want to start a ministry in Costa Rica we paid their entire salary we sent them down there they began a ministry from scratch eventually uh, they have this uh, ministry to children and 600 kids started coming and many of them getting saved, their families are getting saved, and that's, that's gone on, that they've passed on the leadership, but Scott travels there once a year to provide leadership and financial support for this ministry in Costa Rica. And so we're so thankful for all of what God is doing in these many people's lives. Now, if you have that bulletin, don't throw it away. You know, in bulletins you can always check, but this one I want you to hang on to, and there's a reason for it. What you need to do is to make it your prayer, part of your prayer life. And if you will hang on to it, put it in your Bible. And I'm going to give you a little suggestion. You don't have to pray through the whole pamphlet every day. That's a lot. But why don't you just take the pamphlet, open it up, first page, there's a missionary, and say, Lord, would you help that? And they actually have their prayer requests there. And if you just take a moment and you know, look at it, and there's about five or six things they want you to pray about. You know, what, you know what they covet more than our financial support? They cover our prayers because it's so difficult. Listen, when you leave your own culture, when you leave what you're comfortable with and what you're used to and you go to another culture, yeah, there's a joy there, but it's lonely too. Isn't that true? Uh, Gordon and Deb, we've sent them to Mexico, built a house there and did ministry through them. They'll tell you the most exciting thing is to know that people are supporting them, thinking about them, praying for them, and communicating with them. Isn't that true? Did I say it right? Okay, you can pay me later. No, I'm just kidding. No, and I know that for a fact. You know, listen, I, I travel to the mission field. I minister there, but I'll tell you something. I couldn't do it. And my hat goes out to these people. This is really giving your life. Mark, you came with me to India. You know, I can handle two to three weeks of India, and then I got to come home. You know, I'm serious. I can't do it. But, you know, other people can, and thank God for that. But you guys were missionary in Mexico. You, it's a calling, you know, not everyone's called to do that. But those that are, we need to support them, amen? We need to help them accomplish that. And uh, we're working right now in trying to help Rachel go to Spain and North Africa to work, work with women in Islamic uh, ministry. And so we're gonna help her do that in the days to come as a church family. See, you know, we're not gonna just talk about these things. We're gonna do them. So now, I'm gonna shift gears on you. I've got you know, about 30 minutes here, you're saying, well, that's really nice, Pastor. So nice that you filled us in on what we're doing in missions. You know what? Missions begins here. Missions begins with you. And as a matter of fact, my challenge tonight to you is that you and I will live a missional life. And you say, well, what, what do you mean a missional life? Well, it's a life that has purpose to it. It's a life, I think, that transcends some of the things we're doing. You know, I think too many of us settle for too little. And what I mean by that is that we're settling for goals that are temporal in nature. You know, if you settle only for the things of this life, yeah, you may attain those things, but they end at the end of this life. And what I'm going to challenge you tonight is to set a goal that aspires to have eternal impact. You know, that you're living, that when you get into heaven, 
You're, what you've done has had such a significance, it's had an eternal significance. You've impacted the lives of people for all of eternity. That is something that is exciting and is beyond our understanding. When we discover a compelling reason for living, a missional life, it can move us past our insecurities, our sense of insignificance, our own personal challenges, and even our difficult moments. You know, I read a book a, year, a number of years ago called In the Box, and the premise of the book was simply this. Most people live inside of a framework of themselves. And their world moves around themselves. And so they think about themselves, and it's about them and their families, and that's the end of us, the extent of their life. You know, you have a whole unique set of problems when you live like that. And then there are people who get outside that box. And this is what I'm talking about tonight. I want to, if you're in that box, I want to help you move past it. I want you to begin to live beyond yourself. As a matter of fact, the goal of the Christian life is to get you to live for others. It's to get you to live for Christ. And what's going to happen is when you get outside of your agenda, because I think a lot of people think Christianity doesn't work. And you know what I think it is? It's like Christianity isn't working for me. And the reason why it's not working for me is I have my agenda and I'm asking God to do my thing. And then I'm frustrated with God when he doesn't do it. You know, God has no obligation to meet your agenda. But I'll tell you what he wants to do. He wants you to move you off your agenda to his agenda. You see, listen to the Lord's prayer. Not, you know, Jesus prayed, not my will, right? You know, we prayed the prayer. If you, if you study the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray as a disciple, it says, give us this day our daily bread. And, you know, it talks about, you know, us doing his will. It says, help me to do your will, basically in that prayer, right? That's part of the petition, you know. Help me to do your will even as it's being done in heaven. In other words, help me to live a life of obedience to you. Other words, help me to live a life that fulfills your agenda for me. Help me to live out your purposes for my life. God, you created me. Do you know every person in this room, you're not an accident. You were designed and created by God with unique and special talents and gifts. How many think that's amazing? You know, a lot of times we look at ourselves, we put ourselves down because we're comparing ourselves with other people. We need to stop doing that. You need to understand something. You are a unique person made in the image of God. No one else is like you on this entire planet. Do you know nobody else has your fingerprint? You know, God designed you in a very specific way. God designed you with a purpose. And you and I need to discover that purpose for our lives and move beyond ourselves because what happens when we do that, we change the problems in our life. Listen to me now. When you're living out your own agenda, God doesn't feel obligated, I don't think, to meet all of your desires and all the rest of it. And a lot of people tell me, I'm really disappointed with God. He's not doing this, he's not doing that. I'm saying, listen, why don't you ask God what he wants? Now, once you do that, God's going to move you outside of your realm, and you're going to get into God's purposes, and what God has for you is bigger than what you have for yourself. And the challenges are greater, and the problems are different. But here's the good news. When you're doing what God wants you to do, they become his problems. Because I can tell God as a pastor, I say, listen, God, you know what? This isn't my idea. This is your idea. So if you don't bail me out here, we're going to look bad. Not just me. We're going to look bad. I'm just letting you know. You, you got me into this. You know, you're going to have to get me out of this. You know what I've noticed? God will bail you out. He's actually committed to meeting those problems because it's his purposes and it's his will. 
Do you know, a number of years ago when I came back from India, I felt God speaking to my spirit, but I, you know, I'm not one of these people walk around, well, God told me this or God told me that. I just said, you know, when I was in India, I felt impressed that maybe our church could build this orphanage. What do you guys think? And our church, as, a, as one, said, we think God's talking to us. Isn't that beautiful when you have that kind of confirmation? Do you know what the nice part was? I walked up to our church one Sunday and said, guys, our leaders and members feel we need to build this orphan. It's going to cost 200000 U.S. Do what you want to do. I never brought it up after that. Do you know I didn't even worry about it? You know why? Because I said, God, if it's what you want done, your Holy Spirit's going to put it in the heart of each individual to get it done. Do you know at the end of the year we raised 200,000 US dollars? I never brought it up one more time. As a matter of fact, I was on holidays and get a text from our bookkeeper said, oh, by the way, Pastor, while you were gone, $45,000 came in this week. I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, I'm on vacation. I have no, I'm not even influencing it. Why? Because when it's God's will, he's gonna do it. And see, I think a lot of times we're doing stuff that we shouldn't be doing and we're all frustrated that it's not happening. What we need to discover is what is it that God wants us to do? We need to live this amazing life. And so uh, I think so often in our lives we get sidetracked because we start out this way. When we first become a Christian, we're excited, we're enthusiastic, and we just start doing things. And then eventually we get caught up with the challenges and demands of our lives. Isn't that, How many say that's true? And we kind of get sidetracked, and the next thing you know, it's back into our little box. Kind of, we kind of get there. You know, Peter got there. And Peter, in his life, he, you know, he, he said to Jesus when he was about to be crucified, he said, hey, I'll go and die with you. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, you know, I, I appreciate the sentiment, Peter, but I've been praying for you that after you fail, that you'll get repaired. I, I mean, that kind of was a slap in the face for Peter, you know, because he really thought he had it together. And I think sometimes we get like that. We can get so full of ourselves, we think, hey, I can do this. And God really knows we're far weaker than we realize. We really are. And so we know what happens, you know. The pressure came on, Jesus is arrested, you know, the bottom drops out, and Peter's accosted by a little servant girl and says, I think you're one of the disciples. Peter goes, I never knew this guy. I don't know who you're talking about. I mean, he denies Jesus, but you know, it's not just the one time. He gets a second opportunity. Guess what happens? Peter does it again. He denies he knows Jesus. It happens a third time. Peter denies Jesus a third time. And the Bible says that Peter went out, and, and it was interesting because he actually caught Jesus' eye at that moment, and Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus. Before the cock crows in, you know, in the morning, you're gonna deny me three times. And Peter just broke down and wept bitterly and left that place in brokenness. And we pick up the story. You know, here's broken Peter. You know, how many say, wow, Peter's a mess. He's falling apart. He's failed God. How many here in this room can say, I know exactly what Peter felt like. I have had moments in my life where I have failed God. I understand Peter's sentiment right at that moment. But isn't it interesting, in the Mark's gospel, which many people believe was shaped by Peter, Mark tells us this, that when Jesus rose from the dead, he said uh, in Mark chapter 16 and verse 7, Wow, I'm already, I don't, I don't, oh, how did I not have that verse in there? Okay, that's fine. Uh, it says, but go tell his disciples and Peter, and Peter, why? Wasn't that good news for Peter? Because Peter, you know, he probably wondered, am I still on the team? I've so messed up. But Jesus said, no, Peter, I'm gonna give you another chance. You know, how many are glad that God gives us many chances? 
Isn't that true? We kind of mess up. God says, hey, I'm going to give you another opportunity. And Peter. And how many know you probably wouldn't have picked Peter to be the spokesperson, you know, 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion on the day of Pentecost to stand up and preach the first sermon. But God picked Peter. Isn't that great? I think it's a beautiful story of, of God's restoring, reconciling abilities in our life, his redemption in our lives. And he picks Peter, and Peter stands up and preaches. Now, Luke shows us here that, uh, oh, I see what happened. <clears throat> I skipped what I was going to do here. That's all right. I want to just talk about three steps to, to help us move towards being a missional person, okay? And the first one is simply embracing God's purposes. I just didn't put it up there. I've been preaching on it, but that's okay. That you and I embrace God's will. You and I embrace what God has for his purposes. And I think when we fail in our life, sometimes we need to step back and evaluate and understand what does it really mean to be a Christian and what does God have in mind for my life? Isn't that a great question? So maybe you're here today and say, oh, you know, I've really messed up. I said, look, stop. God is in the forgiving business. He's in the restoration business. And God has a purpose. And you and I need to figure it out tonight. You and I need to step back and say, God, am I doing exactly what you want me to do? That is a great question. I think that's one we need to ask ourselves periodically. Lord, am I doing exactly what you want me to do? And if I am, great. Let's keep doing it. But if I'm not, let's make the adjustment. Let's make the change, right? And I have discovered over the years... How often we fail, and we need to be encouraged to be courageous again. You know, we need to have that second opportunity. We need another opportunity, in a sense, a moment of redemptive opportunity. And God gives it to people, and he gave it to Peter. That's why I couldn't figure it out. I knew this scripture was in my notes, you know. So he tells Peter, and, uh, and, and he basically says, hey, you're on the team. Now as we're looking at Luke here, and we're, he's working, he's going to work now through fallible people. And Luke tells us here in chapter one, verse one, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. But guess what? Jesus is still doing and teaching today. And how is he doing that? Through his disciples. He's doing it through you and he's doing it through me. It says, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Even though the disciples had failed uh, Christ in Christ's greatest hour and, and they felt it deeply, Jesus helps them refocus towards the mission at hand. Isn't that great? I mean, how could he turn these guys around so quickly? That's because he said, I still believe in you guys, but you need a little help, okay? I still believe in you, but you need a little help. Now, let me add, the reason why Peter could be restored so quickly was because Peter repented. You know, it's so powerful when we change. We change. What do you mean? When we acknowledge our failure, when we admit to our sin. We know that people have repented when they acknowledge their failure and sin and stop blaming other people. I can tell immediately when I'm dealing with people, if they're sincere or not. The moment I hear them stop blaming all the other people and say, look, you know what? I only have one person to blame, and that's myself. Isn't that true? That that's, when, that's the step towards seeing people be healed and helped. They have to acknowledge. You know, we can easily blame other people, why things happen. We can blame circumstances. But when we finally take ownership of the stuff in our own lives, we can move forward. I think this is one of the genuine evidences of repentance. But what we need after genuine repentance is an opportunity to, to do something. 
to do something significant. And I think the most pronounced change comes as we start doing the right things. And then I'm going to make the statement that was kind of an epiphany this week. We become what we do. Now, why is this such an epiphany to me? Because in, in, in evangelical Protestantism, we've been taught so strongly, and rightly so, that we receive God's grace and we become a Christian, and out of this, we do. Okay? That's true. How many know that's true? We do out of what we become. But now I'm going to say something that's going to sound dialectically different. And that's a nice word for saying the total opposite, and it seems in conflict, okay? And it's simply this. We become what we do. Now, I'm going to show this to you. If I start telling you lies, what do I become? I become a liar. What happens if I start taking drugs, and I continue to take drugs, what do I become? I become addicted. I become an addict. Okay? Are you following what I'm saying? You see, if we do, that, I'm, I'm using negative examples, but when we do these negative things, we actually, it, you know, it starts with a decision, we do this thing, but eventually it becomes a habitual pattern. I remember years ago, a guy came, well, not too long ago, a guy came to me and said, Pastor, I'm a drug addict and I don't even know I'm doing it. I don't even think about it, I don't even realize I'm doing it. I just move right into it. And they said, well, there was a day when you didn't do it that way. The first time you made a decision to take drugs, it was a decision. You took it. You made the next decision the next time. Eventually, it became habitual. I said, the only way you can change is displace this habitual pattern with a new pattern. And it's going to take work on your part. See, I think as Christians, we don't think it's going to take effort. That's our biggest problem. Now, if you want to make change in your life, you have to make an effort. You have to make a decision to do something differently. Now, recently, I've made a decision. I want to be a more generous person. I've been praying. I've been asking God. I want to be just a more generous person. I mean, think that's a good thing. I mean, if you're a more generous person, aren't you really reflecting who Christ is? Okay, so I make this wonderful decision. But you know what? I know that now, if I'm going to be a generous person, I have to act on these things, right? And so we go down to Cuba, you know, and I've made a decision. Okay, we bring some money, and, you know, these people make very little. And I mean, it's, it's really tragic what they make. And so I made a decision. I'm going to just try to give as much as I can to people. So I'm giving, and I'm giving, you know. And we, I thought it was doing okay. I was doing okay, you know. And we did this excursion to Havana. And so... By the way, before we, we got down to Cuba, I had gone to Toronto for the convention, and the night before the convention started, I went to a Blue Jays game. Oh, isn't that fun? And they actually won. Isn't that great? Because they're losing the season. But they won that game. They beat the Yankees. It was a great game. It was a pitcher's duel. It was in the last inning. Yeah, you were there at the very end. And uh, I got there, and I went to the store. Because, you know, you got to do the whole experience. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really into baseball and going to games. You know, that's a lot of fun. And so I get into the Blue Jays store, and I found a beautiful Blue Jays hat. And I liked it, and I bought it because I could do it. So I had this beautiful cap. And so I was wearing it in Cuba, you know, I'm wearing my, you know, Blue Jays hat, you know. And I get down to Havana, and the first, per and there's beggars everywhere, and the first guy, he wants my hat, okay? And, I mean, this guy's aggressive, and he's walking up to me. Kevin, he's banging on my chest, you know. He's really into it. Like, this guy kind of wrapped himself around me, and he's, you know, in my space, and I'm going, my goodness, you know. I wasn't prepared to give up my hat. You know, I'm just being honest. Okay, so I'm, he's right there, and all of a sudden, another guy in our group who's carrying a backpack pulls out a cap and gives it to the guy 
And I, I felt immediate relief, you know. I went, oh my goodness, thank God. You know, because this guy was like wrapped around me. And then I was kind of feeling bad. I should have gave him my hat, right, you know. But somebody had rescued me and gave him, you know, a different hat. And then this guy who, he was prepared. He had come on this excursion to give things. He had his backpack and he was handing out this and handing out that. And like word was getting out in the streets and people were coming. Can I have a hat? Can I have this, you know. And we had people flocking to our side. I was just going, wow, this is amazing, you know. And so there was a guy that was in a wheelchair, and I'm walking by, and I think I walked by him three times, and finally, you know, I felt a little convicted. You know, I said, I got to do something. So I gave him some money, which is a good thing to do. And uh, I thought that was great. And then I got sat down. We had this meeting point at the restaurant, and the waiter walks up and he goes, what can I do to get your hat? I mean, what, what was it going to cost me to get your hat? And I just went, these guys will not let go of this thing, right? So I said to him, you can have my hat. I gave it to him. I just gave him my hat. And he's like, like a little kid, you know, he was so excited. Because the thought occurred to me, these guys will never get this hat. And I can just go out and get another hat. It's not a big thing, right? But these guys, they can't do that. And so he was overjoyed. I know many times he was hugging me, thanking me. And I was going, my goodness, this is great. It's just a hat, right? You know, that night I had a dream. Oh, God really does talk to you. He says, you know, why did you give the guy in the wheelchair money? Why didn't you pray for him? Oh, convicted. You know, it's, you know, here you're trying, right? But what am I saying? You're only going to become a generous person by what? Doing. By doing. So God is working with me. I'm just kind of telling you my journey with this process. See, I'm explaining to you, if you want to change, you have to actually take some effort. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to me now and saying, why didn't you pray with him? He said, yeah, Lord, you're so right. You know, he said, think about it. Peter and John came along. They saw a man lame from birth. They said, we don't have any money, but what we have, we give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. I said, yeah, that would have been hard, Lord. He only had one leg, you know. <laughs> so I wasn't anticipating, you know, raising him up so he could walk. But the Holy Spirit was basically saying, why, you know, because this guy had a lot of scars, and he said, why didn't you just lay your hands on him and touch him? Because most people are reviled by him and walk away from him. He needed human compassion. He needed someone to touch him. He didn't need the money you gave him. People give him money all the time. What he needed was for you to pray with him. He needed something far deeper. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit went on and spoke to me in my dream, and he said, people are extremely needy, Paul. I go, yes, you're right, Lord. We are very needy. And he said, they're so needy that all the money in the world wouldn't meet all of their needs. All the things that you're going to give them isn't going to meet their needs. You know what they really need? They need me. Only I can meet the deepest needs of people's lives. And I went, wow, you're so right. So God's been, you know, at work in my own soul. And so this whole thing of, you know, I just feel so compelled to tell you, if you want to see change in your life, because I think what's happening in North America, we have an amazing amount of information, and we really lack application. And so we don't change, and we think Christianity doesn't work. I'm challenging you tonight. Discover God's purpose for your life. And whatever God is speaking to you about doing, I'm not saying that you need to be a more generous person. That was my example, right? I want to work in that area. Is there other areas in my life I need work in? My goodness, yes. You know, if you were really, you know, you really want to look at your life and, and stop comparing yourself with other people, say, Lord, what am I like and I compare myself to you? You know, where do I need to improve? I'm, I'm sure God will say, you could work on this. And here's some steps you could take, you know, to really develop in that area. But let me move on to the second step here. The second step, not only should we embrace God's purpose, but we need to receive God's power. What I'm talking about tonight, you can't do in your own strength. See, if you try to do this in your own energy, you're going to fail. 
You need God's presence in your life. That's what God was teaching these disciples. Matter of fact, you know, they were effective in ministry. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, long before Jesus was crucified, they had gone out and preached the gospel. They had cast demons out of people. They'd come back rejoicing. They already had a measure of God's presence at work in their life, and yet, through the testings at Gethsemane, witnessing Jesus being crucified, hiding in fear in the upper room, they were demoralized and they were demotivated. How many have ever had an experience in life where you just wanted to quit? Anybody here? Okay, I've had those. You know, how do you continue the journey? You know, how do you get remotivated? How do you reinvigorate and re? Because I'm going to tell you something. Uh, you know, it's one thing when you're a brand new Christian to get started the journey. It's one thing when you're a brand new minister to start the journey. I'm going to tell you, when you're at where I'm at in my stage of the race, here's my prayer. You know what? A lot of people my age, they just tail off. I'm serious. They are just tired. They're burnt. They're spent. They're fried. They're just trying to fig- finish, you know, somehow make it to the finish line. That's not my prayer for my life. I have a vision. I keep putting it in front of me. I have a vision of this Olympic run. I preached this a number of weeks ago, and I was, you know, cheering, and somebody said I should have been a sports announcer. But, you know, my whole point is I want to finish really well. You know, I want to shatter the record. I, I want to go for the gold. I want to, you know, really run the race right to the very end. I want to have a greater influence at the end of my life than I even have up to this point. I want to even do better things, greater things. Now, you're going, Pastor, you're crazy. I'm going, no, that, I think that's something God's put in my soul. And I believe in that. Uh, but look what Jesus said to them. He was promising to be there with them always. And how does he do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we're gonna bring our gospel to our needy world. It's through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse four. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wow, to be empowered by God's Spirit. But you know this filling of the Spirit, you know, we have this attitude, well, I've, got, I've received that. You know, we can, we've been debated the Holy Spirit's greatly debated in the church today. There's a great divide in the church regarding the Holy Spirit. You know, we're Pentecostals. We have a distinctive. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and that's great. I'm not opposed to any of that. I believe in all that. But let me just say something to all of us. Whatever you think about the role of the Holy Spirit, he's the Spirit of truth, right? Isn't that his role? He's here to convict people of sin. That's another role of the Holy Spirit. I could tell you that the Holy Spirit is to bring, make Christ real to us. I could tell you that the Holy Spirit is the one that all of the gifts are enacted through him. I could say that the results of the Holy Spirit in our life, which we call the fruit of the Spirit, is love and joy. We could talk about that. But isn't it interesting, in Acts chapter 1 here and verse 8, we find the true purpose of the Spirit's coming. And he says it here in Acts chapter 1. He, he says you know, that he's come to make us what? A witness. Is, that's the primary purpose of why he's come. He's come to change our lives so that our lives, not just our words, but our very life is a witness. We've been empowered by him. And this Holy Spirit, we need to be filled with him, and it's not a one-time experience. Matter of fact, in the book of Ephesians, it says, don't be drunk on wine, which is which leads, which will ruin you, which is debauchery and reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. We are commanded to be Spirit-filled people. Now, take a look at this. How does this filling occur? How do we become filled with the Spirit, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked that question. You know, because that's the question you need to ask, and here it comes. You know what? 
The Pentecostal experience followed days of prayer in the upper room. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They spent 10 days alone with God praying. In other words, they were waiting on God. Folks, I want to just tell you something. We need to learn how to wait on God until we're filled with his spirit. That's the only way you're going to be effective in fulfilling God's purposes. You cannot do what I'm saying to you by yourself. Human effort alone isn't going to do it. You need the empowerment of God's spirit. And you only receive that when you wait upon him. And so as a church, we're in the middle of restructuring a little bit. And we're going to make prayer a higher element in our church. Now we do prayer and fasting, you know, every third month or so. We're into that motif. But we're going to go to a whole new level. Because I am so convinced that what we're doing is spiritual and supernatural. There's so much stuff going on around us, and things can change so fast in our society. As a matter of fact, how many people predicted the NDP would win this last election? Most people wouldn't have picked that. I mean, two months before that happened, if I told you the NDP that they were gonna have power and they're gonna be a majority government in our province, people looked at me and said, you gotta be kidding. I can't see that coming. Let me tell you something. You can't see what's coming tomorrow. See, you think everything's going to stay the same. I don't think so. I think things are changing. And if we're not in touch with God and we're not full of the Spirit, we're going to be be in big-time trouble. We're not going to be ready for what happens. As a matter of fact, I'm going to suggest this thought to all of us that if we're really living this life as a missional person, we're going to run into two things that we don't want to have happen. Opposition and persecution. And you know what? For most of us in this room, we shy away from that. Isn't that true? How many here, you really enjoy opposition and persecution? You go, I just live for that. Pastor, I thrive on opposition and persecution. Come on now. We don't, we back away from that. The moment we feel opposition, the moment we feel persecution, what do we do? We back down. We stand down. True? What did the early church do? They were preaching the gospel, and they were called into their parliament to say, we never want you to hear you talk about Jesus and what he's done again. As a matter of fact, they threatened them and beat them. And these guys showed up and said, they came back to the church and they said, we're done. Here's our resignation. We're packing it in. We can't cut it anymore. We're finished. Somebody else can lead this new enterprise. Is that what the, isn't that what it says in your New Testament? No, you know what they did? They had a prayer meeting. And they started out, Lord, you're sovereign. In other words, you're in control of everything. As a matter of fact, God, you know that miracle that got us into all this trouble? Could you keep bringing them on? As a matter of fact, we want to have more power. And the Bible says here in Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, that says they prayed the place where they were meeting was shaken. I think it was an earthquake. I think God kind of shook them a little bit, gave them a little ride. And in other words, God, I think this is a picture of God showing up in the meeting. Isn't that great? God stepped into the meeting and says, I heard your prayer. The place was shaken, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Excuse me, weren't these guys already filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2? The answer is, of course they were. But because Ephesians 5 tells us we need to continually be filled with the Spirit, they needed another touch from heaven. And you know, just because you and I are Christians, just because you and I have experienced something with God, we need to be continuously filled with the Spirit. And as they were filled with the Spirit, what happened? They what? They spoke the Word of God boldly. Do you know, let me ask you a question tonight. How many of you speak God's word boldly to people? How many of you do that? You're just bold. You just go out and speak. Gordon, God bless you. One person raised their hand. Two, three, somewhat four, okay? Most of us say, you know, Pastor, I'm polite. I'm a Canadian. That's right. Isn't that true? Can I just say this? When you're full of the Holy Ghost, you can't help yourself. It's gonna leak out of you. It's going to leak out of you. Amen? Yeah. It's the truth. It's going to happen. I guarantee you. 
And I'm gonna say something to you. If you think that you're really walking with God and you're not boldly sharing the gospel, you're not as full of the Holy Spirit as you think you are. Ouch. There shouldn't have been an amen. There should have been an ouch. No ouches? Pastor, you are really meddling tonight. You know? Yes, I am meddling. I think this is important. We get this stuff. Uh, I think one of, we're silent because we lack empowerment. We're afraid to be uh, opposed and persecuted. You know, listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are those who are persecuted. What, what am I telling you? Guys, gals, arm your minds. You're going to suffer. It says that in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Have you read it? You need to prepare. If we're going to impact the culture we're living in, we have to be prepared to suffer for our faith. We have to be a lot more bold than we've ever been before. We have to be, but you know what? Before we can just you know, walk around talking, we better be living it. Mm. That's the final step. Well, let me go back here and say this. I, I, there's just so much to say here. Um, you know, preach it, brother. Yeah, Ephesians chapter one. Listen to what it says there. It says, I pray also, this is Paul's prayer for the believer, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope in which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. The power that is like working, uh, is like the working of his mighty strength while he exerted, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul is praying that we'll understand that the spirit of God that is living inside of us is the same spirit that actually resurrected at Jesus' dead body and literally helped ascend into heaven. How many go, that's kind of powerful. Does anybody think that's kind of powerful? How many think raising dead people might be outside of most people's scope of power? That's God's power. Now think about this. That power lives inside of you. Hello, that power lives inside of you. You know, how many like muscle cars? Anybody relate to that? You know what I'm talking about? 1970s, you know, they built these cars, the big engines. You know, right? Anybody, everybody understand what I'm talking about? And you know, those cars were not built automatics. They were not automatics. You had to shift. They had transmissions and you had speeds, you know, first four, four speeds or five speeds. How many know what I'm talking about? Right? You know how most Christians live? First speed. We're, we're a muscle car. We're always driving in first speed. We look good. We make noise, but we don't move. Can I just tell you something? When they built those muscle cars, they were built to do what? To move, not just look good, right? I'm telling you right now, you guys are muscle cars, but most of you, you have your muscle car in first gear. And God wants you to learn how to shift and get out of first gear. Amen? Okay, I'm I'm winding up. One more point, I'll finish as fast as I can. I, I won't keep you too long, okay? Bringing God's presence into our world. That's what God is interested in. You know, it's easy to lose focus in life. Isn't that true? Life has many demands to it. You know, we're all faced with demands. We're all living busy lives. Canadians, you know, we're hard workers. I'm gonna just tell you that. We could pat ourselves on the back. We're hard workers. We know how to go out and make money. We play hard, work hard. I want us to serve hard. That's what I'm talking about here tonight. You know, These guys were still dreaming about the glory days of Israel. Listen to what they said in verse 6. So when they met together, they said to Jesus, you know, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You know what he said to them? It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. You know, stop trying to figure out what God's doing. That's not our job, you know? And I think we kind of fall into this mentality. But he said, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But what are we witnesses of? That's a great question. All that Jesus did and accomplished to his death and his resurrection. But what does that really mean? 
What does it mean? It means this. It means that my life has been radically impacted by that reality. Now I'm going to ask the question, has my life been radically impacted by the fact that Jesus died and rose again? Has it been? Okay, good. It should be yes. That should be the answer. Yes, it has been radically impacted. Good. Then my next question, and let me say it to this. This is how the Apostle Paul framed it. And I've memorized this verse because I love this verse. And it's Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Now, when you say that statement, what are you saying? I'm dead. So I could, I could you know, there's a book written. I think John Ortberg wrote it. It says, not about me. By the way, that's what this verse is saying. Do you know it'll really help you get outside of your little box when you say to yourself, it's not about me. I want you to say it out loud. It's not about me. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Wow, Christ living in me. That's an amazing statement. You know, And then he goes on to say here, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, Paul could go on to say in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. Wow, what a powerful statement, isn't it? Okay, I'm running out of time, so I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna just close with the story. I think we like stories anyways. We're in... We're in Cuba, and uh, I wake up early. That's just my nature, and I start praying, and I, I know we're going on an excursion the next day to Havana. And I'm saying, you know, Lord, we've been in this resort, and English has been about the sixth language. I mean, we got people speaking in German and Russian, French, a lot of people from Quebec. It's kind of, I went in low season. Prices are low, not a lot of crowds, perfect time to go. Weather was 30-plus degrees, I know, and I looked at Red Deer and the weather was miserable here. I felt bad for you guys. But I was sitting on the beach resting. I really felt bad. Yeah. Wrong. I didn't feel too bad. I was so happy I wasn't here. Missing, missing, I was missing some of this stuff. But anyways, I'm there on the beach. And I know I'm going to go on this excursion the next time. I'm praying. I said, Lord. You know, it's been hard to really relate to people because, you know, the Spanish, you know, people speak Spanish. So, you know, I'm really not communicating with a lot of people. We, you know, I actually ran into a Christian and him and I had a conversation. He didn't speak English. I didn't speak Spanish. It was a re- really, got a little frustrating at moments, but we did communicate. I'm amazed at how we can do that. So, I'm praying and I know that there's going to probably be some English speaking people because I'm, I'm on an English excursion. And that tells me that whoever's getting on this bus, they're going to speak English. So I said, Lord, I want to talk to someone about you. No, I'm wired this way. I'm praying. I'm saying, God, do this. So we're at the lobby, and there's these two young gals, and they're from our hotel, and they're on the same excursion. So we're getting on the bus, and of course, I want to be a gentleman. I let these two girls go first. So Patty and I get on the bus last. And you know what? The bus is full. There's no seats available. So I look all the way down the hallway, and, and you know, the only seats available are the, at the very back row. You know how in these buses, they have like two, 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 and then you get down, there's like five. And there's a couple sitting way in the back, and those are the only seats available. I walk all the way to the back. Guess what? God directed me. How did he do that? Full bus. Walk right down, sit down, sit down next to this guy. We start chatting. We introduce ourselves. And he, eventually, he, I find out, you know, because he's talking to his, his wife. And I know he's not talking Spanish. I know he's not talking Russian, German, French, because I know these languages. I know what they sound like. He's talking something else. So I say to him, you know, 
what language are you speaking? He says, I speak Farsi. I said, oh, really? I said, you're from Persia, the great country of Persia, Iran. He said, yeah. He sa I said, well, are, are, you, are you here in Cuba from Iran? He goes, no, I live in Toronto. I said, really? So we have this great conversation. What brought you to Canada? How did you get out of Iran? All of it. And I find out he's searching for truth. I said, wow, that's interesting. I've met it. I've met truth. He goes, really? He's, I said, yes. His name is Jesus. We get in this whole conversation between Islam and Christianity. We have this whole dialogue on the bus. He goes, I was, you know, I have a lot of questions about Christianity. I said, great. I think God put me here to answer some of your questions. Do you think? You know? So we have this great conversation, get off the bus. You know, the first thing we do when we get to Havana, it's lunchtime. We go for dinner. We break into groups. Guess who sits at my table? This couple. And his wife says to Patty, she says, I wish I was born a Christian. Isn't that beautiful? Because some people have been radiating Christ's life to her. And we had this wonderful discussion with them. Anyways, Lord willing, you can pray for them, that they'll continue to stay in contact. I gave them my email address. I said, any more questions, please email me. I'd be happy to answer them. I gave them a big hug, you know. Just a great meeting. I said, God, you hear our cry. You see, that's God's purpose. Amen? It's living life missionally. It's living outside our box. You know, I can't help myself. I don't stop being a pastor when I leave Red Deer. You know, I'm wired a certain way because you know what? I've been doing it so long, I've become it. I've been doing it so long, I've become it. And what I'm saying to you tonight, if you do it long enough, you become what you do. You become a missional person. And so we're going to stand and close tonight. And how many here are saying, you know, Pastor, I want to get outside the box. I want to live a missional life. I want to have an impact. I want to have an eternal impact in people's lives. I want to break out of the mold of my own culture. Because Canadians, were very polite, but we don't say anything. You know what I mean? Now, how many know that if you don't live the life and you say the words, you're not having any impact? Do you realize that? Your life is negating your words. So you have to live the life. But if you're living the life, then we need to have the courage to speak the words. And you may face opposition and persecution, but let me point out to you, we're not living for ourselves. You know, when I became a Christian, I didn't realize that at the time. When I gave my life to Christ, I didn't realize I was literally dying to my life. But I had to look at my life before I became a Christian. It was pretty messed up, and I was pretty confused, and it wasn't going anywhere. And I knew that. I was just making one bad decision after the next, and I knew that. And I knew I needed to make a change. And I knew that this was the right way. I knew this was it. And so I made this decision to be a follower of Jesus. And over the time, God's reinforced this, that, you know what, I need to give up my life for him because he gave up his life for me. And as a brand new Christian, I made that decision one Sunday. I came forward in a service and said, Lord, I'm gonna belong to you lock, stock, and barrel. It's not about me, it's about you. Whatever you want with my life. I had no idea I was gonna be a pastor. I'm, I'm a young person that's broken. I'm come to a church like ours. If you'd have looked at me at 21 years old, you'd have never said, he's gonna be a pastor one day and have a lot of influence and impact people's lives. You'd have never guessed that. Guaranteed, you'd have said, I don't see that. But God did. And that's why I believe in people. 
people say, why do you believe in me, Pastor? Because I say, I believe in God. Because it's not human nature I believe in. I don't believe in human nature. It's too messed up. I believe in what God can do to human nature. He can bring about transformation. But it's not about just becoming a pastor. It's about becoming a missional person. It's not changing necessarily vocation. It's about learning how to live with a divine purpose to your life. That you live outside of your box and that you reach out to people. You know, you see the needs of people. Sometimes it's just listening to a person who's lonely. Or it's praying for someone who nobody else is concerned about. Or it's giving to a needy person that you know nobody else is going to give to. Or it's, you know, whatever which way God is showing you how to express his life to people. That's living missionally. And you know, some of us, we get trapped into the busyness of this life and we stop living this way. And maybe you're here tonight and this is a night that God has been speaking to you and saying, I'm calling you to live a missional life. God's Spirit has been speaking in your heart tonight. And you will say, Lord, I want to answer that call. I want to live a missional life. I have my hand raised. Some of you are doing it. You're already doing it. But for some of you, you're just saying, you know, I've done it and I've gotten away from it. Or some of you, I've never lived this way, Pastor. I have to confess it's been about me. This is a scary step. Well, you're going to exchange your set of problems for a brand new set. I can guarantee you.